Good morning. I'll be reading scripture today from Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, replied, you shall not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then shall, can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Thanks, Chua. So growing up, one of my favorite activities to do was to go shopping with my mom. Uh, I didn't like going shopping with my dad because my dad would always tell us that we didn't have any money. And so we would just go straight to the store, get what we needed, and then get out. But my mom was quite the shopper, and so she would uh, shop and she would let us buy, us, buy whatever we wanted. Um, more so just one thing of what we wanted. And so after we got done browsing the store, she'd take us to either the toy aisle or the electronic aisle, and we could pick out what we wanted. And so I loved shopping with mom. What I didn't like, though, was just having to wait for her because she would browse through everything. She'd go through each rack and make, you know, look at each you know, clothing item that she liked, and so it took forever. And so as a young kid, I started picking up on some of her tendencies, like, oh, mom takes like 10, 15 minutes looking at clothes. And so what if I just sneak off to the toy section or the video game section by myself and I'll scurry back to, to, you know, to where mom was? And so I felt, started feeling really confident about, about my strategy because you know, I would do it from time uh, over time over time. And so after a couple of weeks of realizing mom's tendency, I'm like, oh, you know, like, piece of cake. You know, I can go to the toy section, uh, spend a couple minutes there, be back, and mom's still there. No worries. One day when we were shopping, I was like, okay, piece of cake. Mom's tendency is easy. And mom was always, you know, she was always concerned. And she's like, you know, stick with me until I'm done shopping. And then we go together. You know, she always like, I don't want you, anyone to kidnap you. Um, and so one day, 
I was like, okay, you know, mom says that, but it, you know, I've been fine these last couple weeks. And so I went to the toy section, got down the toy section, felt a little risky, you know, felt a little like, oh, you know, like, I know what mom's tendencies are. Went to the video game section, spent a little uh, longer time there, and then came back to where mom was, and she wasn't there. She was not there. And as a little kid, even to this day, I can still feel the panic in my body, the uh, racing heartbeat, uh, the tears started to well up in my eye. Uh, I was running through the aisles and, and looking at you know, both directions, we're like, where is mom, where is mom, where is mom? And it didn't help that we grew up on the east side of St. Paul and the store that we always went to was that Kmart off of 35E in Maryland. And so everybody who went to that store was Hmong. And so it's like, I don't know where mom's at. So I got so scared. And then finally, finally, after what felt like, like hours, and the store that I was so familiar with that, you know, I felt like I knew every corner with, felt like a hundred times bigger. Finally, after finding mom, I was like, all right, I can't depend on, on my own self-sufficiency. This idea that I know the story, I know what mom's tendencies are. I can't depend on that. I have to trust that mom's out there looking, for, looking out for me, that she's there uh, looking out for my good. And so from that day on, uh, I still snuck around a little bit, but not as much, not as much. Now, being self-sufficient, being independent, it has its strengths. It has its perks. I mean, if we weren't self-sufficient, if we weren't independent and you know, we were still living with our parents and depending on our parents and our parents were still depending on their parents, um, it could be really unhealthy. But when we rely on self-sufficiency and independence too much in our faith, that can sometimes be unhealthy. When we rely on our own selves too much, that can be unhealthy. And so as we continue on in our, our, our Jesus uh, Talks Money series, we're going to look about what Jesus says about self-sufficiency and money. Now, earlier, Cho read to us Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30, and I'm going to summarize it. And so this, um, this encounter talks about a man who approaches Jesus and asks Jesus, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? What do I need to do to get eternal life? This interaction between this man and this Jesus also is recorded in two different places, um, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. And so out of, the three, out of the four Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus, uh, three of the four include this encounter. So I think it's worth paying attention to because it's repeated three times out of the four. And so throughout the passage in Matthew, as, as Chor read it and as we read it, we find out that not only is this just a, a person who's curious about how they can get eternal life, but this person is also young and rich. In Luke's gospel, Luke specifically calls him a ruler. And so generally, this story is referred to as the young rich ruler. Now imagine everything that our Asian parents would want in their children. Success at a young age, lots of money, and influence over people. More importantly, a great reputation in the community. You see, the rich young ruler was that definition of what every parent wanted. He was self-sufficient. He was independent. He had money. He ruled over, um, you know, whatever he ruled over. Um, you know, some scholars believe that he was a, a devout um, person in the synagogue, and so he followed all the commandments. And, and we'll get to hear that a little bit more. But again, he was successful. He was independent. He was respected. 
And although the rich young ruler had everything that everybody wanted, um, he wanted to make sure that he was going to receive eternal life. And so he had some uncertainty about that. And so he approaches Jesus in this encounter asking how could he get eternal life? Jesus responds to this question by telling him to follow the commandments. And we know that in the commandments, there's 10 of them. Jesus lists five of them. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, and honor your parents. Jesus also adds, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the original Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, love your neighbor as yourself wasn't a... Uh, commandment that God gave to Moses, but in Leviticus we find it, and, and love your neighbor as yourself is in the Old Testament, and it's a belief that that's a basic summary of the last half of the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are split, usually split into two categories. The first four deal with your relationship and your interaction with God. How do you respect and honor God? And then the last, uh, the last set of um, commandments, the last six of them, deal with how you love your neighbor, how you interact with other people. And so Jesus basically recites the second half of the commandments of how you should interact and relate with others. Now, interestingly, Jesus leaves out the 10th commandment, do not covet. Uh, do not covet basically means do not excessively desire, do not excessively want. Um, specifically, in, in, um, in, the, in, the, in the context that God gave it, God told Moses, tell the people not to excessively desire or want your neighbor's house. Don't, don't desire their wife, a servant, an ox, or a donkey. And so don't have this um, overarching desire desire where uh, it causes you to want it so much that you're just so focused on how you can get that one item. And so Jesus leaves out, do not covet when he's talking to the young rich ruler. And so let's keep this on the back burner. I'll get back to it a little later. But the young rich ruler then confirms with Jesus that, hey, Jesus, I've kept all these commandments. And then he asked Jesus, is there anything else I lack? Now, not a very smart question when you're talking to the person who gives eternal life. Like, Jesus, what do I lack? And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you. Jesus then tells the young rich ruler to sell all his possessions, give to the poor, and then follow Jesus. And on hearing this, the rich young ruler left feeling sad. And the sadness that the rich young, the rich young ruler felt might be better understood as a sorrow or even a disappointment because his heart was torn. He wanted eternal life, but he also wanted his possessions. And so he was sad that he couldn't have both, that he had to pick one of them, and that, again, he had to make a decision. The cost of eternal life was too much for him. It was too expensive for him because he had to give up his possessions. And it makes me wonder if Jesus left out the last commandment, do not covet, because maybe he coveted, even though he had told Jesus that he followed all the commandments. Was this the point that Jesus was trying to make to the rich young ruler? that as self-sufficient as he seemed to be, and in his search of receiving eternal life, he was actually blinded by his desire to want something else. 
to want something else more and not the eternal life that, what, that seemed to be the prized possession. And so after the young rich ruler leaves feeling sad, disappointed, um, Jesus turns to his disciples and he tells them this. This is what he says to the disciples. Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus compared the rich young ruler's chance of entering the kingdom of God to a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, the camel was the largest, um, largest of animals in that area uh, that the people knew and, uh, where Jesus lived. And so they obvious knew, obviously knew that it was impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. An eye of a needle is tiny. Sometimes it's hard to fit thread through that eye of a needle. But again, it's impossible for a camel to, uh, it's impossible for a rich, young, uh, rich person to go to heaven, but it is possible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And that illustration provided, that Jesus provided to the disciples told them how hard it would be for a self-sufficient young rich ruler to enter the kingdom of heaven because he was so anchored to his stuff, to his possessions, whether they were physical possessions or, or figurative, uh, figurative possessions like his reputation. Now, this shocked the disciples to hear that it would be hard for a rich man, it would be impossible for a rich man to enter heaven, but it would be easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle because the disciples had this in mind. They asked Jesus, well, if, if a rich man can't enter heaven, who can be saved? Who then can be saved? The disciples held this assumption that rich people were blessed by God. They received their rich, they received their wealth because God gave it to them. They became wealthy because of God's favor. And to them, the rich young ruler was the ideal image of what the disciples, of who the disciples wanted to be. They assumed that the rich young ruler was the ideal candidate to receive eternal life. And that the rich young ruler had probably done something right in his life to receive his good fortune. And that he was probably going to receive the good fortune after he died and receive eternal life. Now to be fair, some of the Old Testament verses do kind of speak on this. But we have to understand it in its context. And so if we just kind of read it, for as it, uh, read it as it is... Verses like Proverbs chapter, chapter 10, verse 4, and Job 42 talk uh, about that. And so in Proverbs 10, it says this, uh, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And so there's a sense that, hey, you know, like, like if I'm lazy and I'm not making it for myself, then I'm going to experience poverty. But if I'm diligent, if I'm working hard, I'm going to receive health. And so you can see where the disciples kind of saw that because they were familiar with Old Testament. The book of Job is about a guy named Job being faithful to God, even through, um, through trials. Some of the hardest trials that any, any person has faced, Job lost everything that he owned. He lost his riches. He lost his possessions. He even lost his family. But because he was faithful, God restored his fortunes. And so in Job chapter 42.10, this is what it says. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. 
And so the disciples were maybe thinking about these passages like, wait, God in the Old Testament doesn't say that if, you know, if you're, you work hard, if you're self-sufficient, like, you know, that's a good thing because we had to do something to earn this. And, and ultimately God's like, no, it's, it's, you know, because Job had faith in God, that's why, you know, that's why he was blessed. It was Job's trust in God, even through his trials and tribulations, that's why he received it. So when the disciples saw that the young rich ruler couldn't receive eternal life, they were shocked. They were like, well, if, if the rich young ruler can't receive eternal life and he's the model citizen, certainly we can't receive eternal life. Many of the disciples were uneducated. Many of them were just your average Joes working average jobs. And so they're just like, so then if rich people can't receive eternal life, who can? Jesus responds to them by saying this in verse 26. This is what he tells them. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus responds to the disciples informing them that eternal life was only possible because of God. You see, humans could not do anything to, eter to earn eternal life. It doesn't matter how rich they are. It doesn't matter how much they give to charity. It doesn't matter the good things they do, what, what or where they volunteer at. None of that matters. If a person's banking on their self-sufficiency, if a person's banking on their own um, ways to get to heaven, it just doesn't work. And it makes me wonder if the rich young ruler was so used to getting what he wanted because he had the money to buy whatever he needed to get himself out of a bad situation or he had the authority because he was a respected individual in the community. He had the authority to authorize or to, to make things happen so that whatever he desired could, could work out. I wonder if that's the same way he thought about eternal life. I wonder if his thought process was something like this, that, hey, if I'm self-sufficient in this earth and if I have the ability to take care of myself here, I probably just need to make sure I do whatever it takes to get me to heaven, assuming that it was probably another task or another charity that he could donate to. But his world got rocked when Jesus told him to go sell all of his possessions. You see, in doing this, Jesus was probing the rich young ruler's heart, trying to help him determine and see what he was hopeful in. Jesus wanted to see if the young, rich young ruler believed that he could, he could attain eternal life through his own ability or was it through his faith in God. Jesus wanted to see what the young rich ruler really anchored his hope in. Was this hope anchored in all that he had or was it truly anchored in God? And so when Jesus invites the young rich ruler to sell all of his possessions, when Jesus invites the young rich ruler to give to the poor, and when Jesus invites the young rich ruler to become a disciple after he, he does all this, Jesus was telling the, the young rich ruler this, to trade your self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. Trade your self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. God, Jesus was telling the young Christian ruler that he couldn't depend on his self-sufficiency for certain things. Surely could depend on some of, some of his self-sufficiency for some things, but not everything. And Jesus was inviting him to depend on God's sufficiency 
for the things that he had no control over. Now we get that same offer as well too. We get invited into that too. Now the encounter that Jesus had was with a young rich ruler. And in all honesty, it doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account, whether you're negative or you've got a surplus of money. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Regardless of the financial situation you're in, you could find yourself trying to be self-sufficient and independent from God. The young rich ruler was simply an example for us to relate to. But again, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, how much money you have, the reputation that you have. So often, it's our nature to try to be self-sufficient and independent from God. It might be the personality traits that we possess, maybe skills and abilities that we've been blessed with. They can get us so far in life, but they can't get us through everything. So we get invited to this question of how we can be dependent on God and not ourselves. Sometimes I think we feel like we have to be capable and we have to do everything, but that's not true. You see, one of the major pillars when it comes to believing in God is that we simply can't do all of it. Instead, God has done it all for us and we just have to accept his love, his mercy, and most importantly, his grace. So I think here are two things that we can remind ourselves of when it comes to our self-sufficiency. First, sometimes we just have to stop trying and we just have to start trusting. Stop trying and start trusting. There comes a moment in our spiritual lives as we follow God and want more of God where we just have to admit that we can't do this by ourselves. We're not holy, we're not righteous. We make mistakes, we hurt others, other people hurt us. And we just simply have to surrender to God. We just simply have to stop trying and start trusting. See, God gave us Jesus who took on every and any challenge that you can think of. Could even be something that you're experiencing right now so that we wouldn't have to. Instead of focusing on what you're trying to overcome, maybe be aware and focus on what, and, uh, and be, instead of, let me read that again. Instead of focusing on what you're trying to overcome, maybe be aware of how much you focus on what you try to do. If you find yourself focused on, I have to do this, I have to do that. My reputation depends on this. My livelihood depends on that. Maybe that's a sign that we're trying too hard. So instead of focusing on what you have to do, focus on God's goodness, his grace, his mercy. Focus on what God has done for you so that you can simply be. In stopping, in, in stopping, in, in stopping our trying so hard and trusting, maybe we can just simply trust that what he says is true. Trust and faith is such a major component of what it means to depend on God. And so maybe we just trust that the commands he give us, that that's just true. And second, when we stop being self-sufficient and simply trust, when we simply trust, then we obey his commandments and his promises. Trust what the Bible says and obey it. Follow it. 
Again, trust and faith is such a major component of what it means to depend on God. So maybe it's worth just to simply trust what God tells us to do. Now it might seem a bit naive, like just trust, that's it. Interestingly, if we look at the whole context of the passage that Cho read to us that we've been talking about, the three verses right before this encounter that Jesus has with the young rich ruler talk about an important concept that could be help for us, helpful for us to better understand what it means to trade our self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. And so let me read those first three verses before the encounter with the rich young ruler. This is what it says. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Right before talking to the young rich ruler in Matthew, Jesus was blessing young children. And his disciples were shooing the kids away, like, no, no kids here. But Jesus invites the kid and even tells the disciples, let the little kids come to me. Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Maybe that could be a start or an image of what it looks like for us to trade our self-sufficiency for God's sufficiency. Maybe we try to see what it means to be a little child. Whether you have kids, nieces, nephews, or you just get a chance to observe the, pain of the kids that we have here at River Life, notice their total dependence on their parents. Maybe imagine your, depend your dependence on your parent or your caretaker how you simply relied on them and trust their word as is. Didn't question it. Just simply trusted like little children. Could we have that kind of dependency on God and his sufficiency instead of ours? Knowing that we are cared for and loved for by a mighty God. <clears throat> 